What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 255 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. And today we're we're talking about sort of the holy grail: how to make Amazon like everything, like everything. Yeah, yeah. How to make it less stressful selling on Amazon and more profitable? Who doesn't like that? Uh, and today uh, we're excited to to bring on Laura Meyer, the uh, CEO of Envision Horizons. How are you, Laura? I'm great. How's everyone else doing? We are fantastic. Hanging in there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> beginning of the week and uh, cranking through, but uh, excited to talk about this. I know um, you've helped a, a lot of clients and brands. You've got some insider knowledge of Amazon we could talk about, uh, but you've helped brands really scale and get over the stress points and get into the profitability. And so we're excited just uh, to dive in and just talk about what that process is like. I know a lot of people listening are are interested, but uh, you know, let's let's turn it over to you, Laura, just to to get started. Would love to to hear more about your your background and just how you got in, in, involved in this crazy e-commerce space that we're all in. It is a wild west, very much so. Uh, but I think that's what makes it so exciting, right? Is mm -hmm. the area of the digital world that we operate in. It's so dynamic. It's always changing. And Amazon certainly keeps us all on our toes at all points. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, so my journey was I worked for Amazon corporate. I worked for AMG or Amazon Media Group uh, back when it was still called that. And the concept for Emission Horizons really originated during my time there because I was selling their media solutions back when DSP was actually called AAP mm -hmm. and paid search, you could still buy clicks for 10 cents, the good old days. Yeah, I remember oh, those, those good old days. <laughs> oh. yeah. And, you know, my biggest complaint or objection when selling in Amazon's media solutions was, hey, this sounds great, but my retail's a mess and I can't spend a dollar till this, this, and this is fixed. And that's when the light bulb went off. So in 2017, I founded Emission Horizons with the mission statement of making selling on Amazon less stressful and more profitable and really helping businesses with not just the advertising, even though that's, of course, a very important component, but also really with the strategic planning that should go into the Amazon channel and approaching it from a full service component um, because everything is so interconnected. And if you don't have inventory, nothing else matters. If you don't mm -hmm. have great creative, you're going to spend a lot of money on advertising with not great conversion rates. And, you know, the domino effect can go in many ways. Yeah. So let's talk about that time at Amazon. That seems, you know, we don't really get a lot of people on the podcast that have actually been at Amazon or worked for Amazon. First, how did you find that position and like what did that come about and, and what was it like? Yeah, so I had a very, very positive experience working for Amazon. So I, I started at Amazon very young in my career. It was actually, so my backstory is I graduated college. I moved to New York City with a one-way ticket without a job from the Midwest. Like no, no backfall. My parents were like, what the heck are you doing? And I just had this, I just found like this business development internship because growing up in the Midwest, going to the college in the Midwest, like 
all of the recruiters that would come to my university were for jobs in the Midwest. And I was determined to break the mold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, you know, risk taker, I guess, naturally. Just let's go to New York, figure it out. And I had this summer internship as kind of my buffer to really network and find a real, not I shouldn't say real, but like a, a salary full-time position. And so I was very grateful for that internship because it forced me to learn how to network even more as a 22-year-old in a city that I literally knew one or two other people. And I found the job at Amazon, just scrolling LinkedIn. I applied online, but I took that extra step further where I found a woman who I had like one or two mutual connections with. And I sent her a LinkedIn note being like, hey, I noticed you work at Amazon Media Group. I just applied there. Would you be willing to have coffee or take a quick call with me? I'd love to learn about your experience. (laughs) She took the call with me. Her name's Nina Desi. Like I still stay in touch with her to this day, seeing her at Unbox next week. And anyways, so she took the call, I guess was impressed or liked me uh, or was incentivized by Amazon's employee referral fee. Who knows which it is, but she then referred me internally. I got the interview And then I was hired, but because I was still quite junior in my career at that point, I was a part of a really special program that Amazon had created for basically like their development program. Uh, Like I'm blanking on the name of my title at the point, but I was like an associate account executive or something. So what was amazing was I had six months of intense Amazon training from Amazon. And with this training, not only was I learning the ins and outs of the media world and programmatic display and all of these things I should have learned in my marketing classes in college, uh, but I also had to learn the retail side because that is so fundamental to Amazon. And I actually had to, like everyone, a part of my program, we had to take these online courses, kind of similar now how you can get the Amazon ad certifications that those were basically internal quizzes that I had to take back in 2015. Um, but then they also had the retail version of them too. So I joked that I basically got like a Amazon MBA as a part or like as the start of my career. You were with Amazon during like the wild, wild west uh, for on the seller side, like uh, as a seller yeah. during then, I mean, you could, you could do a little, almost anything and, and rank a product. Uh, so that was like probably a crazy time. When did you realize, like, cause for me, I didn't realize you could actually sell on Amazon until I got down the rabbit hole and found out like, Oh my gosh, you can actually sell on Amazon. Did you know ahead of time that there's actually people selling on Amazon or was it just like bookstore or what was your experience there? What's interesting is I mostly just knew a vendor central when I worked at Amazon that I knew that there was this, third-party marketplace, but the prospects at that point that I was trying to sell into for Amazon's media was mostly vendors, right? Mm. And I actually learned so much more about the Seller Central world after I left. And what I had done was simultaneously with the launch of my agency, I actually started my own brand on Amazon because the logistics and the operations, those were all things that I didn't have experience in. And, you know, I remember listening to podcasts like 
the AMPM podcast back oh, yeah. in like the early Manny Coates days, right? Yeah. Uh, like the Amazing yes. Seller. Like those were yes. great podcasts in the early days. And that's like, thanks to those podcasts, I self-taught myself to go on to Alibaba and source. And, you know, I, I did the whole kind of like private label uh, rodeo as many of <laughs> us did. Um, and still to this day, I have my men's undershirt brand that I sell on Amazon. That's awesome. So you're in, uh, apparel, apparel. That's right. Is that is that yes. where we're going here? So yeah. uh, we're kind of fast forward here, real quick, and we'll we'll kind of hop around here. But apparel is like one of those uh, categories that people are like don't get in apparel. The returns are crazy. <laughs> you know, people always buy and they return so many. What, what's your experience been like? Well, for me, and and by the way, I also have apparel and footwear clients, and yeah, the return rates can be crazy. But it's about, and this goes back to the profitability strategy and what we work with our clients on is it's about curating the right catalog. So I can be transparent with the data with my undershirt brand. My return rate is only 8% or it ranges from seven to 8%. It obviously goes up during the holiday season because Amazon opens up the return (laughs) window, which is annoying. Um, But, um, and, and the reason is because you think of consumer habits with an undershirt. First of all, I only have small, medium, large, extra large, so forth. So most men know if they're a larger, an extra large or medium or whatever. So that right there is going to limit the return rate where if you're selling, let's say women's dresses that don't come in small, medium, large, but they come in size zero, two, four, six, eight, et cetera. Now you have a larger selection or variation and there's a larger air of consumer purchasing to buy the wrong size. And let's be honest, uh, apparel sites like Nordstrom, Revolve, etc., they built and encouraged the habit of ordering more so that you can try different sizes or try different styles and then return, which is why Amazon even has the, I'm blanking on the name of it, but I think it was Prime Wardrobe or something where you could order a bunch of apparel products, have 30 days to return it, and you keep what fits and what you like. So I think apparel can be a great category if you're selling the right type of product, where like you said, there is that low return rate, but more so if it's staples. Like the high fashion items, it can be trendy if you hit TikTok right and whatever, but like to me, that's that's a fast paced game and I like stability mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like stable businesses and everyone's always going to need underwear. Everyone's always going to need socks. They're going to need bras. Like those are the apparel categories that actually have phenomenal businesses on Amazon. That's an interesting point. Cause uh, <clears throat> my wife just went to a wedding about three or four weeks ago and up and it was in Florida and up to the wedding, she was ordering, trying to find the right outfits. And I was in, so she'd order two or three, they'd show up. And then like the sizes were all discombobulated on the dresses. Like one would be the, whatever her size is. And it'd be way too small. The same uh, size would be way too big. And so she's just, things are going back and forth and returning. And I'm sitting there going uh, from our seller side. I'm like, oh my gosh, the return, <laughs> the return rates are just awful on this. And, and I saw from her perspective too. I mean, she's trying to find the right outfits. I mean, Amazon does make that nice for the, for the shopper. But, you know, I was thinking in my head, I was like, why can't these brands get the, make it obvious how this fits? You know, there's gotta be a way for them 
to make her job shopping a lot easier. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was just, I mean, I was like, I am not going into uh, dresses or anything like that, <laughs> watching her on that return rate. I mean, that was, that's a challenge I would think for those brands big time. Yes. But like I said, you know, it, it can, you can be strategic in how you approach it, right? Like, let's say you are selling dresses. There are dresses that are really attractive that are made of like stretchier material. So that's like, those are the dresses that you can sell at a small, medium, large scale versus mm -hmm. a dress that is more structured cotton where there's a zip up on the side where it has to be exact on the size and you have to have the numerical sizing system instead. Mm. <laughs> I think Amazon's very good with casual fashion if done correctly. And, you know, I'll fully admit, so I'm, I'm pregnant and finding maternity clothes is not easy in rural Massachusetts. <laughs> so like those niche subcategories too are great. Like I am wearing a pair of pants right now where I went into Amazon and searched, you know, maternity dress pants and like where else am I going to buy them but Amazon at this point? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Let's talk about congrats. what. what yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. But I've that was thinking about that. I've never ordered something for me that didn't fit on Amazon because it's simple. I buy t-shirts <laughs> and shorts, yeah. and I know what I am. I know it's, and, and it's consistent. And like maybe the shorts have like the elastic or like simple yeah. uh, exactly. waistlines. Very casual. Easy, easy to shop <laughs> when it's very casual. Exactly. Uh, how did you get, because like product research is always fascinating to me, like how you do product research, come up with an idea, come up with a brand name. What made you pick the the apparel? Uh, the niche? Was it just, hey, we're going to try t-shirts or was there products before that you tried in, sp in specific niches that failed? Like, How'd you come up with t-shirts? So I came up with t-shirts. Uh, I was inspired by my husband actually. So my husband, even though he lived in New York City for, you know, 18 years, um, is actually a big outdoorsman and hunter. So he does archery. And he's like Rambo in the woods, like literally <laughs> nice. facing. And it's very important to have moisture wicking clothing because mm. if you have cotton, which absorbs it, the deer can smell it and you don't want mm -hmm. the animals to smell you when you're hunting. Um, and sorry to my vegan beauty brand clients, but this is, this is farm life, right? Um, uh, it, all organic meats in my house, by the way. And so he was looking for a specific type of moisture wicking undershirt that he could wear under his hunting gear that would help with that. And I just did some research. I was fortunate enough to like be living in New York City. So I had some friends in the fashion and textile industry and kind of consulted them on what are the best blends for this purpose of having an undershirt that would be versatile, where you can wear it to the gym, but you can also wear it under a tuxedo at a wedding and not totally mm. sweat through your white tuxedo shirt. Um, and so I did some research and then I eventually created a list of like 20 suppliers, got their quotes, narrowed it down, ordered samples, I think from three to five different uh, vendors, and then eventually placed that first order. And they just took off. They started selling really well. They have really high reviews because unlike a Lululemon or a Under Armour, 
where they're very, very, you know, they have a lot of overhead, they have a lot of marketing costs. Uh, I was able to follow that model of more direct to consumer, therefore higher value product at a more feasible rate. And then I did test some other products too, yeah. which were fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what, what were some of those that you, that failed? Like okay. categories. Of so the one that failed a little backstory on it was around the time that I started this entrepreneurial venture, right? Uh, I got a puppy and this was in the heyday that you could actually make Instagram accounts go viral. So I created an Insta famous puppy. His name is Mr. Monster. So I built this great following. I had around like 25, maybe I got, I think I got up to like 30,000 followers on Instagram. Okay. And then I used that as a platform to launch a line of pet toys or dog toys. And I was determined to have these like durable dog toys that still squeaked and they were really cute and have really fun designs. But, you know, one pit bull gets a hold of your dog toy and you get a one-star review and yeah. it's just <laughs> no coming back. <laughs> That's so you had to, did you, you drop that line of, of products? Yeah, there, that was a one and done order. Uh, cause you know, I think I had to order at least like a thousand dog toys or whatever it was. So it was still, it was still a fun venture. And actually I did have a decent pet sweater business for a while, but that was keeping up with holidays and I wanted something more consistent. So there was like for a year where I sold, uh, dog Halloween, dog Christmas, dog Valentine sweaters. And that actually, you know, I, I probably netted at least like 20 or 30 grand from that little venture. There you go. I mean, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it brings up an interesting point. I mean, that was, it's similar to mine. I mean, my first product was quote unquote, a home run. Um, and then I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, well, this is easy. I just go pick whatever I want and start selling it now. And you start realizing, you know, not everything, you know, works. There could be way too much competition. Dog toys is a great example. You launch a dog toy and all of a sudden there's 900 identical dog toys. Uh, the same, you know, it gets super competitive. They're they're typically cheaper. So there's not many, mm -hmm. not as large margins. Cost per clicks go up on ads. I mean, you start learning uh, a lot of this. Um, and that kind of brings up, you know, from your perspective, both in your journey and um, all the clients that you're helping now, you know, we're talking about making it less stressful. What are some of these common stress points that you're seeing, you know, both in your journey and, and with clients coming in? Where where are the roadblocks? What are the hurdles that people are having a difficult time overcoming? Yeah, well, obviously, the, the biggest stress points are things that you can't control. And with that, it's just a matter of taking a breath and handling it. And we've seen a lot of crazy things over the years. And I think where we help take the stress off our clients is just, it's, it's, I always like to say we don't, and we can't know everything about Amazon. That's just impossible. But what we do know is how to problem solve with Amazon. And so just walking them through and saying those expectations of like, we're going to do this, this, and this. And if this doesn't work, then we'll try this. Like, here is our plan. Trust that we're going to handle it. But in terms of other areas that you can control that can sometimes bring stress is number one, inventory. If you do not do proper inventory planning and then you go out of stock and then you go back into stock and it's this roller coaster, 
It's so expensive. You lose relevancy. It's just a hot mess. So we put a big emphasis on not only helping with the replenishments into FBA, but my firm, we we have a whole like inventory management department where we help with demand planning to make sure that they're, we're securing the right amount of inventory for the Amazon channel. The other thing is really making clients commit to what their goal is mm. so that there's not a wishy-washy strategy where if they really commit to wanting to gain market share and then they freak out because their margins were 5% that month, we we have them that like this is what you agreed to you can't stress about this because like look at what the new to brand customer rates were and look at you know your share of voice and some of these other metrics that are super important to track so how we really help with the stress is we look to be extremely transparent and educate our clients and just keeping them in the know I'm a very firm believer that communication is very, very important. And then the other thing is having data to be able to piece everything together. So we, my, my company, we actually built out our own Amazon analytics platform where we can track things like LTV, new to brand customer acquisition, repurchase rates, profitability at the brand level, at the SKU level. So we can start to tie all those pieces together to really paint the picture and help businesses feel like they're in the driver's seat and not in the back seat. I like that middle part there where you set the expectations with the brand. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, look, we're trying to get market share. And if you come at me with a, like, Hey, my margins at 5%, well, you wanted to get market share and that's what we're trying to do here. So I like that you're very open with them at the very beginning. We see that on our end too, with Dustin and I, you yeah. know, I want to increase sales using advertising. Okay. And then your, you know, your spend goes up and your ACOS goes crazy, <laughs> but you're, you got more orders. They're like, well, it's like the trade-off, right? You have the trip. I really, I really, um, I really think that's a good, like set the expectation at the very beginning and here's what we're doing to go forward with it. Yeah. And actually one thing that we added to our tool, cause our, like we screen share it with our clients as I know slow, so does too. We actually have our goal setter. So the goals get put into the platform and they're saved and it shows mm -hmm. how it's tracking. What a great idea. So like, mm -hmm. there's no, oh, I didn't say that. Like, no, it's, it's locked in. It, it's there. That's a great idea. <laughs> and, and we're going to look at this every single time we meet to make sure that we're aligned. What are some <laughs> of the things you're doing to launch products? I know launching products and like making a new product on Amazon is a lot more difficult than it used to be as far as doing like the 99% off and all discount codes and search from buys and all that crazy black hat stuff. But now it seems like the tide is shifting or it has already shifted to like TikTok, Instagram, get a, you know, get a following. Mm -hmm. What are you guys doing to launch products? Yeah. So we we're doing a few things. So I, I should disclose that most of our clients are what I call multi-channel brands where they're already in brick and mortar or have a pretty stable D2C business. Uh, we very rarely at this point work with brands that are straight up on the ground floor. So what we do when we launch new products for brands that already have some brand recognition or brand notoriety, we're a big fan of cross catalog selling. So we will launch DSP ads where we'll take their top seller audience and remarket 
the new product. If it's a relevant product, obviously there's some catalogs that uh, that consumer may not necessarily convert. Um, but that's what that's one thing we're doing is how can we leverage that existing loyal customer? Influencer marketing is a new service that we launched last July in 2021. Yeah. So we do source what I call more Amazon specific influencers where it's like the hashtag, you know, find it on Amazon TikTok mm -hmm. feeds. And we've had a lot of success with that. Although we have even more success with the influencer marketing like last week during the prime early access sale where we teed up a bunch of influencers to highlight their favorite deals, AKA our clients and just drive more awareness, drive more qualified traffic to those pages. And then, you know, I like, we don't, we don't do any like major growth hacks in terms of giveaways or anything like that. And the issue that we sometimes run into, given the fact that we work with multi-channel brands is discounting isn't mm -hmm. always a lever that we can pull. We will advocate for it, but if we have a prestigious beauty brand that also sells in, into Sephora, who already hates that the brand selling on Amazon, we probably can't do a promotion in that launch. So we like to align with what some of their external marketing efforts are, whether that's email marketing, whether that's their own social media presence, and then building the traffic through remarketing their existing Amazon customers to the new products, using influencer marketing, um, and then obviously like the standard sponsored product, sponsored brand, Vine, et cetera. What are you doing to keep the influencers like warm? Because uh, sometimes it's always like a, a one shot, here you go, and you got to wait for like your next deal. Like, how do you keep them engaged or how are you? And then another part of that is like, are you incentivizing them? Did they just get free product? What's that relationship look like with influencers? With our influencers, there's the posting fee. And then they, if they're a part of the Amazon affiliate program, they can make money on the affiliate links as well. And the best way to keep it warm is like anything speed, right? You can't engage with them and then get back to them two weeks later and then send them product. As soon as they commit, you send them product and you get a hard post date from that influencer. And the other thing that we're really working on as a firm is building our own Rolodex of qualified influencers. And it's that Rolodex that when it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we're going to go to them and give them a list of all of our clients' deals and say, hey, what products do you want? What do you want to promote? That way, it's also more efficient for us than doing one-to-one -one campaigns now we can take our whole portfolio and then our whole Rolodex and like <laughs> swap, yeah. swap notes and see, you know, what's going to mutually work out. Are you doing anything on the product insert side of, of, of products or like packaging? Like, you know, reviews is another topic where, you know, people are like, how do I get more reviews? Well, you got to sell more. How do I sell more? Like, mm -hmm. so it's like a, it's like a shift. Uh, so are you doing anything on that side to like gain reviews or gain a following or something on that end? We, you know, we used to help with the insert designs, but then when Amazon's terms and services got a little gray, yeah. I, I, I'm all about limiting the liability of my firm. I would never like to this day, I've never gotten an account suspended and I never want to have to go down that route ever. So I, I play it by the books very much. So, 
Um, and also as a as an accredited agency of Amazon, you know, it's it's in my own best interest to do everything yeah. by the books too. Yeah, the the TOS is certainly gray <clears throat> on all of that. Yeah. You you I'll buy stuff all the time, and I'm like, how are they getting away with this? <laughs> oh know? my goodness! Yeah, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh! It's like clearly says leave a five star review on the insert. Yeah. I'm like, I, they're it, selling thousands of units a month. How is it and, possible? And what's so interesting now is that there are so many sellers, right? Like, aren't there like 6 million sellers now? Mm -hmm. I think that was a, a stat. I heard something somewhere. At this point, eventually a seller is going to buy that product and have that experience and people report. Yep. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. the risk is not worth it. Um, you know, we do do the one click to review automatic follow up. I think everyone does that. Mm -hmm. I am going to be really curious to see how the Amazon email marketing functionality yes, plays yes. out that they Very announced to Amazon Accelerate. Uh, we have a lot of clients that have pretty decent following on their storefronts already. One thing that we started doing back in early 2021 is if you go to the storefronts of most of my clients, you know, there's like the little follow and arrow and like pointing to it. I, I don't think we were original in doing that. We just made sure we implemented it across the board. Um, and that's, you know, that's helped with those, those following numbers. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think it's overwhelming when brands, you know, especially coming from your, what you're talking about, a lot of, you know, traditional retail brands, they've been, you know, in, in retail stores for a long time. Now they're coming onto Amazon. It's a very different landscape. Um, it, completely different. I mean, speaking directly to the customer and then all these things, all these levers that you can pull, like following. I mean, right now, and I don't know how huge of a lift you get from a large amount of followers, but they're Amazon's clearly pushing it. And mm -hmm. it's gonna be, I mean, that's like uh it's like free right now to gain a whole bunch of followers if, if you know strategies, but then it goes into uh like you're talking about influencer marketing and then Amazon posts. I mean, there's so yeah. many things that you can do. Oh, what are you doing on the on the Amazon post front? Is that something that is a, a, a yeah, weekly, we, weekly deal? We we do their post. Well, we typically ask them just for like their social media content folder, and then we just replicate it. Uh, and we have, you know, I haven't looked at the data more recently, but we, we definitely were seeing sales come from it. And I think the big thing about the Amazon post, especially for a while, was the defense and the offense play of it, where if you had posts and your competitors didn't, you could then get basically free impressions on their product detail pages. But so how I think of it is at the end of the day, whether you're Amazon, Facebook, TikTok, or Google, or even Netflix and Hulu, you're competing for eyes on screens and they're all trying to figure out the best formula to create the addiction. Like what was the Netflix documentary? Like the, what was it? The social media dilemma or something? Yeah. Social dilemma. Social right. dilemma. Yeah. And, and so like what Amazon's doing with Amazon live, you know, they're, they're trying to compete with kind of the QVC, but even the, LinkedIn live or not LinkedIn, Instagram live and whatnot. Um, and I think, you know, we just, all of these big tech companies, they just want people's attention so that they can sell product. The difference with Amazon is they're actually the retailer selling it. Unlike Instagram or TikTok, where they're trying to do these shop features, but the adoption doesn't seem to be there. 
on have you seen anything on the walmart side as far as like are your clients starting to ask you anything about like hey what should we do on walmart or is walmart something we should be entertaining i know that's getting a lot of hot buzz and people are talking about it is that anything that big brands are worried about yeah we so we've done some walmart testing we've we've also done you know like instacart and Credio advertising through target my thing is it's all about is the juice worth the squeeze at this point? Do I think that retail media is going to continue to diversify in sources? Absolutely. Like in five years from now, is it going to be all about just buying Amazon paid search? No. Like what I think is going to happen, and there's obviously platforms working on it, is that paid search is eventually going to become the new programmatic where you're setting bids and those bid placements through a third party, obviously, because they're not all going to work with each other, mm-hmm. is, you know, maybe showing up on Instacart or Kroger or, Wal- or um, you know, Walmart, even Macy's is building their own tech platform or ad tech platform, because all of these retailers have seen that Amazon built this phenomenal business, but also you know, they're trying to figure out how to be price competitive with Amazon and other retailers. So even the retailers are losing money on certain sales of products. So the advertising is the way to subsidize that. Mm -hmm. And now they're all trying to figure that out. And I think there'll be some really great platforms. But once again, at the end of the day, you know, does Macy's really have the traffic for it to be worth the time of an e-commerce manager to set up all the ads? I don't know. I think you'd have to be a really big brand for it to maybe be worth it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've even seen people talking about TikTok ads where, yeah, it can be great, but is there scale? Uh, same thing with influencers. It can be really impactful, but it's so manual right now that it's you can't go and take a million dollar budget and just spend that on influencers unless you're hiring Kim Kardashian, right? Mm-hmm. And even then... Do you really get the, that, yeah. the right ROI on that? Yeah. yeah. It will be interesting. Um, I mean, and I know just from my perspective as a consumer, I buy on Amazon. I see something anywhere and I go try to find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's simple. They have all my information. I don't have to do it. It's like one click and I get it and I trust the delivery. I just feel like that. that's the obstacle that a lot of these i mean i just feel like there's gonna be a, it's gonna be a challenging to have 15 marketplaces that you're going through i can see maybe two mm-hmm. you know i mean seems like you would think walmart would be the best positioned right now to actually be the competitor uh but then you hear stuff like you know tiktok like they just announced their uh, i don't even know what they, they announced that they're rolling out into uh fulfillment e-commerce, into fulfillment i mean so it will be yeah. i mean that's that's a massive company getting into the space so it it is going to be interesting for sure what let's shift a little bit we you know those are those are issues obviously those are stress points for anybody you know how do i manage all of these things to help my my e-commerce and my amazon business grow what about on the profitability side you Mm -hmm. know this is you know what are the levers that you can pull to you know up you just mentioned having those really you know, direct conversations with what is your goal? If your goal is to gain market share, then profitability probably has to take a back seat for a little while, um, mm-hmm. you know, to gain that market share. But what, what are you doing to help maximize profitability with your clients? 
Yeah. So I think one of the most overlooked things when it comes to optimizing a business for profitability on Amazon is taking a look at your FBA fees. So everyone just assumes like, oh, I'll improve profitability by spending less on advertising. Well, that's not always the best thing to do. And in fact, we just did a deep dive with one of our brands where they had strict guidelines for us to lower the tacos ratio because they wanted to improve efficiency. And not all, and then we, we did the analysis because obviously part of it is testing and learning. And we did this test for six weeks and we saw a dramatic, a dramatic drop in their organic ranking. And organic ranking is the name of the game also for building a profitable business. So I, I like to think of it in a, in a few different buckets. So the first place I like to look when seeing if I can improve profitability for a business is I we have our, our tool where we see profitability by individual ASIN. So I, I go to that tool and then I look at what the profitability is by product, what their percent of FBA fee is to list price and products that have more than a 30% FBA fee percent to their list price. There's probably some optimization we could do there, either from a bundling perspective. You know, I've looked at businesses where they had $10 and two cent products. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get this below $10. So you have the 8% referral fee and you can be in the small and light program. And I just think a lot of times those optimizations often get overlooked or overshadowed by the sex appeal of advertising. And the op advertising obviously is an instant gratification solution because you can pause or decrease bids immediately. But if you're looking to build long-term profitability, you need to first look at the operations. So that's one place I like to look and then you need to make maybe some strategic decisions of, you know, is this product going to be a loss leader or even like a low profit skew that we use for market acquisition? But then what is our strategy to convert the loss leader consumer to some of your higher profit profitable products? And then maybe adjusting your ad strategy so it's not just all going to your loss leader, but you have that what I call like retention marketing strategy with DSP and so forth to, to convert that customer to your like replenishment. So maybe you have a three pack that you're trying to sell. Um, so that's one place. The other place, of course, is not neglecting. You can't neglect SEO in that strategy. And of course, I think SEO and paid search, they're brother and sister, right? They, they mm -hmm. work together. But I do think it's really easy for businesses to just get caught up in the keyword strategy on paid and they're not tracking their organic indexing. They're not tracking where are they ranking and looking at that data and leaning into it. Because even though Amazon has rolled out a lot more paid placements, uh, like it's, it, it, it's, I think it's at capacity at this point. Um, <laughs> you still you still need that right and then obviously optimizing for advertising there are ways that you can maybe invest more in retention marketing versus new customer acquisition strategy if profitability really is your number one goal right now um and then i'm actually it, it sounds almost counterintuitive but 
I've really been advocating for more brand awareness marketing versus just focusing on paid search because where the CPCs are right now, especially in categories like beauty and supplements where, you know, the keyword turmeric is like $45 or whatever it is. It's insane that you're actually better off doing more of the audience targeting in DSP and OTT and building that brand awareness and investing in that for like a good 90 days to see what the brand lift is and then building momentum off of that. That's an interesting strategy yeah. where you, you kind of leave the high bidding keywords alone Use DSP to your advantage to kind of gain some customers and and maybe new customers to brand, and then maybe bid higher on your own branded terms, or you're going to be more relevant anyway. So that people, when they type in your brand name, you're paying a cheaper cost per click to get that customer to buy again. I, I like that strategy. Kind of use the traffic that's already out there and get them to come back to your brand name. Yeah, and look, like the CPMs on a lot of these audiences aren't that expensive. You know, I think people think of display as being this expensive investment. And in reality, you can, like, especially with the remarketing, like we're seeing up to $10 ROASs on, on some of our brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's more of a replenishment play. And I think like 60 per, probably more, like probably more like 80% of my clients have some type of replenishment component to their catalog. But yeah, I mean, I, I was not a fan of DSP two years ago, but whatever Amazon did in the last 18 months has been phenomenal and we're seeing huge success with it. So any way you can avoid $45. <laughs> yeah. Like it just doesn't make sense. And, and by the way, I, I don't want to discredit paid search because you absolutely need that. And you need the paid search for your SEO strategy. It like we even create campaigns where we know that a cost is going to be terrible and we set that expectation, but we say, Hey, we want to be on the first page for these keywords. So we're going to commit to a bad a cost of this budget for these six weeks. And we're going to lean into it. And afterwards we can assess to see, did we see significant growth in organic ranking? If we don't, and we spend all this money we still got a lot of impressions. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you, you, you got to test and learn. You can't be complacent ever on Amazon. Yeah. And the reality is, is that $45 is set by the market, you yes. know? And so it, you know, it somebody pays $45 to get a, to acquire a customer and that customer buys turmeric for the next two years, every single month. There's a reason why they're willing to pay that. And, you know, it's just a matter of, does it fit into your strategy? And I think a lot of people miss that part. They think, oh, Amazon's gouging us. Well, I mean, people are paying it and it's working for them. Otherwise the market would shift that price down. So it's, do you want to play in that sandbox or not? (laughs) Right. Well, but I think what we experience, not right now, things have settled down, but say eight months ago, it was still very like brands were still very hot with investor money. And I mm-hmm. do think that there was flagrant spending because right. I audit a lot of businesses and their Amazon accounts that I've seen it firsthand where, you know, someone was just really focused on top line revenue growth. And I don't know, some you look at the data and you're like, this doesn't exactly make sense. But yeah. I think Dustin, to your point, 
another thing that we look at when thinking about profitability for businesses too is building our media plans towards the products that have high LTV and that have high repurchase rates as well. Yeah. I mean, LTV is something everyone should be looking at for sure. Mm -hmm. it, it's a huge factor in, in making decisions moving forward. If you're looking at that on a per unit basis, it's going to be a shocking number probably. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it uh, over the lifetime value of a customer. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much in this, in this space. There's so many levers to pull. There's so many angles to come at it. Um, I think that's why what you offer and others offer out there is, is a way for brands to take a step back, let people that have been in the trenches on this uh, handle this for them and make those, make those decisions. Cause it's really easy to just say, forget it. You know, this is, this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. um, but and to that note, I also, I think there's a lot of people watching right now that are very interested in all the things that you're talking about and probably would love to have a conversation with you and let let them let everybody know if they're if they're interested in, in learning more about about what you guys do how can they get in touch with you and start a conversation absolutely so you have our website here scrolling along the bottom <laughs> so you can always visit envisionhorizons.com uh but also i'm super available and always on LinkedIn, that's my social media addiction. You know, forget TikTok, I'm addicted to LinkedIn. Uh, so you can always find me there, Laura Meyer. Uh, shoot me a note, and I'll I'll most likely respond. <laughs> and and you run a podcast, right? I do. Yes. So Todd and I run a podcast uh, called Common Mistakes, where mm -hmm. we have founders, other agency owners, software developers, really whoever, um, really career uh, professionals who share some of their mistakes. You know, we get vulnerable and we talk about what we learned the hard way. So the listeners don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris and I have lots of those. We yeah, get... tons. <laughs> I, it's why it's a whole series. We all yeah. we've all felt it, right? Yes. And like even with Amazon, like there's those like I remember earlier on when I was selling on Amazon, like it was Prime Day 2017. I accidentally double coupon something. Ooh. Like those are those are hard lessons to learn. Oh. But that was back when Amazon would actually cancel orders. Now they won't. Yes, that's true. I had a lot of those too. A coupon <laughs> that got out, and all of a sudden I'm out of thousands of units of inventory, I'm like, oh no, how did this It happen? always seems like it happens like when I'm flying or traveling, <laughs> yeah. or I'm at a conference. When you like can't handle it. Yeah, when yeah. You, can't, you can't get on it fast enough. That's, oh man. Well, really quick, just a funny story uh, about Todd. I was at a conference, Chris and I were at a conference selling scale in Las Vegas and I'm standing in line and I'm chatting uh, with the lady next to me and Todd, who I had never met before, uh, turns around and he's like, I know your voice. And I'm like, and he's like, you're the two Amazon sellers guy. Right. And I'm like, this is bizarre. I was like, that, that was like, okay, wow. People are, people are listening. <laughs> That's awesome out there. Uh, so yeah, another strategy for any brand also is podcasting is free marketing. It just takes yes. time. It's great. So that's why you're the yeah. host. Your voice is more recognizable. Than yeah, I don't know about that. That's why. Yeah, yeah you, I'll you tell you what I hate as I hate listening to it. I, I know. I hear. I'm with you. Have, I'm like, but that's that is scientifically proven. Everyone hates their voice, and it's yeah. because when you're talking, your brain gets used to hearing it 
like from this way yes. versus it coming at you. So when it sounds different, your voice immediately just dislikes uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's not a great, not a great feeling hearing yourself talk. But <laughs> uh, Well, uh, I encourage everyone to go check you out uh, envisionhorizons.com. Also, check out your podcast, Common Mistakes, right? Common Mistakes? Yeah, Got that Common right? Mistakes, yes. Perfect. Well, Laura, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciated it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. We will do it again. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back at this again tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody.